0: this is the real wolf record club the podcast where we take apart classic albums with a talented and diverse cast of guests my name is joe and i'm your host with me as always is our panel of hannah ben and ryan we have got a great show for you today we really do our guest has been a writer for the washington post since 1999 where he covers baseball and features he's also a singer-songwriter with an album that just came out last year in 2021, The Measure of Things. Dave in is here to talk about his work and music, but also about the album Let It Be. And no, 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 not by the Beatles. Listeners and fans of the Real Wolf Record Club will recall that I am in a very one-sided public feud with Sir Paul McCartney over his unfortunate comments about my beloved Rolling Stones
1: frankly you're the only one who knows you're in that feud
0: no listen this <laughs> ends when you want it to sir no we are talking about the influential post punk album let it be by the replacements uh, also panel did you notice i said the word influential there did anyone notice that i did joe i heard that you all noticed it good that that is good that's a hand selected word replacement there um we, we, we basically begged for uh, listener engagement and involvement in the first few episodes, and I did receive a bit of fan mail. Um, I will paraphrase, but Dominic in Minnetonka, Minnesota, purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka, uh, he says, and I'll paraphrase, Dear Joe, love the show. You say the word iconic a lot. So thank you, Dominic. I pulled out the real wolf record club thesaurus and I'm making a conscious effort to use better and more words perhaps fitting because we have a talented writer here today he can critique our work and tell me hey keep that thesaurus out buddy but but I mean it but it is the replacements album let it be it is an influential and iconic album everyone seems to pull out different threads from this one from musicians to fans I watched the the documentary color me obsessed which was essentially breaking down a history of the band from from fans and musicians who were experiencing it as they went along. It, it's pretty interesting to hear what people took away. Uh, one guy said immediately upon hearing the band play live for the first time that they were the worst band he'd ever heard and simultaneously the best band he'd ever heard. Uh, we'll talk to our guest, Dave uh, Shining about the influence this album had on him and, and what the replacements mean to him. Um, but But one of the things we always do with every album is we talk about where we're coming from what our history is with an album or a band and and for me you know it's the replacements i, I guess encapsulate a bit of a bias for me that i had a, you know as a kid listening to a lot of music i was lucky enough to have parents uh who let him go places and do things from a pretty young age so long as i called so long as i showed up when i said i would i i could go where i wanted to and I guess probably about age 14, I started tramping around with some friends, uh, the Twin Cities to punk shows and basements and at the 7th Street entry and the Fireball and the Red Sea and the Coffee Grind, only one of those clubs still exists, seeking out the music that really that really resonated with me. And you know, my working theory that encapsulates my own youthful bias was that if you're not from Chicago, if you're not from LA, if you're not from New York City, you tend to believe that epic music compelling music to quote the internet meme epic shit is happening right now elsewhere somewhere else that's one camp the other camp is that you believe your town is more relevant than it actually is and you become fiercely defensive and exaggerative of the relevance of the culture and the art where you're from. Um, I fell into the former camp and at age 14, I thought there was nothing better than music from the coasts and that there was nothing good from my hometown stuff with the exception of indie hip hop and, and rap. Uh, so, so for a kid who went to just about every punk, hardcore, metalcore show that a Subway sandwich artist wage could afford, for a kid who wanted to be a, quote, zine writer, and once interviewed Roger Murray before an agnostic front show at First Avenue, I absolutely missed out on the replacements due to my own bias, which was that there's nothing really that great local. And I missed them. And so I, I'm looking to the panel, uh, Hannah, Ben, Ryan, start with you, who are the replacements, for you coming into this album?
1: I knew um, only one song, I'll admit. I knew I knew the band, but I didn't really know who they were, or what their sound was, um, or what I was totally getting into. They had one song that I really, really liked. Um, and that was kind of what I knew, but I was like, well, if the rest of it sounds like this, I, I, I think I'll like it. So um, I felt pretty good going into the album.
2: Joe, the replacements to me was a movie starring Keanu Reeves. (laughs) I think
0: that played this weekend too, by the way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, I really didn't have much experience with the replacements other than probably passive listening on 89.3, the current one of the best local radio stations around. Um, but I, I never really listened to this album. I didn't really seek out any songs by the replacements. Um, I, I would have guessed that they would have kind of a sound that's kind of, I, I wrote in my notes, dirty garage underground rock vibe. And I think that's kind of what it, what it is, but uh, really not much experience other than passive listening.
0: I, I will, I will say, I mean, you, you, you went, your mind went to, you know, dirty garage rock. I, I, <laughs> full disclosure here. I, I probably thought the replacements were the Pretenders for a very long time, <laughs> and they're nothing. They're not really that much alike, I guess. I mean, maybe generationally, but I, I really probably was like, yeah, they're they're just like the replacements, right? Some mom and dad band from the the seventies and eighties, and the Pretenders I,
1: aren't a mom and dad band, are they?
0: Um. you did see the pretenders with your mom so i anyways oh yeah that's a that's for another episode um shows you see with your mom that'll be a different title of the episode uh ryan who who are the replacements to you coming into this episode
3: well well, i'm a, a counterpoint to everyone else here because i've listened to replacements quite a bit um I think I started listening to them in college because I really liked Death Cab for Cutie and the lead singer for Death Cab for Cutie is Ben Gibbard and he whenever he would come and to Minneapolis which he'd frequent quite a bit would always mention the replacements their influence on him cover some of their songs so I'd go to these shows that I paid to see and it made me wonder who the replacements really were Um, so I started listening to their music probably in the mid2000s um, so yeah I'm I'm familiar with the replacements I never got to see them live I regret that I wish I would have been able to see them live um, but yeah uh, definitely been somebody i have always played and listened to over the years um, I'm not an expert on their music I don't think I, anyone would consider me one of their most diehard fans but um, they're always music I, I enjoyed to, to put on
0: it's it's probably the peak or pinnacle of um, arrogance of my generation, which is geriatric millennial. It's probably the peak of that where we come to a band like the replacements and three or four of us haven't really listened to them. Three or four of us think they're somebody else or they have one or two songs or something like that. And we just go with it for years, decades. I'm like, yeah, that's who the replacements are, right? It's the pretenders or something or Heart, or some crappy band like that. (laughs) <laughs> Noah fans hearts agree i agree i just threw that out there it came to me um but but i mean that's that's really what, one of the things we talk about the experience and what you bring to an album because the goal here is to uh, let's appreciate music let's figure out its relevance and if you don't love it maybe you recognize where it hits in the pantheon of good music uh and, and but it just it's funny that as we go through ryan is the only one who's dipped his toe and been like no this is this is good this is legit the rest of us are a little more um naive would be a good word for that but i I obviously that leads into the point that there are others there are many many others who have found this this band and this album um far more influential than hannah ben or uh, myself might have and so with that i'd love to bring in our guest uh, as I said, Dave Shinen, he is a writer for The Washington Post and he is a singer song writer with an album, a number of albums, but the most recent came out in twenty twenty one Welcome to the real Wolf record club Dave Shinen.
4: hey man, <laughs> great to be here man and uh and what a nice um what a nice intro there um I really appreciate it um you 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 know i i have to i'm in the same boat as 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 most of you guys in that i didn't come into the replacements right away in real time um i was a little too young i was 15 years old when this record came out let it be in 1984. i think if i had been in college at the time it would have i would have found it but you know i grew up in in small town georgia we were you know, three to five years behind on everything pop culture wise, you know? And eighty-four, well of course, was the year of Bruce and Prince, right? And so I was wrapped up in Bruce and Prince. And if where I was getting a little bit adventuresome with music, it was more uh you know, the 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 stuff that dudes on my basketball team were listening to, which was run DMC and grandmaster flash and stuff like that that's where i kind of got my little my my edginess uh, music wise at that age and where i was going out seeking music was i found a a a dude in in the next town over from mine who had a bunch of bruce uh springsteen bootlegs and so i would hit him up for for bruce bootlegs and so that was that was the extent of my my musical searching at the time so i kind of came into this late in life um in fact, I mean, this, I may be the only replacements fan in the world who can say this, but my entry to the replacements was Paul Westerberg solo stuff. Mm. Um, you know, in, in the early 90s, uh, maybe late 80s, um, 14 songs, eventually, Suicane Gratification, those records absolutely slayed me. And he immediately jumped to the very top of the pantheon of of my favorite singer songwriters and then i went back and found the replacement stuff which blew my mind of course because i mean you know i mean no 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 offense to paul's uh solo stuff which i still have a soft spot for but um the replacement stuff was just so much more um immediate and powerful and you know youthful i mean it was he was a younger dude at the time so i kind of came in through the side door to the replacements but um it, it 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 immediately you know became a, a go to for me. Um,
0: and I, I love I love that part because that's that's something we talk about. It, the the it's not derivative because that's almost talks about it's it's you know sapped of its energy and power but it it there's a tributary there's music you can find by listening well you listen to this and so you get crossed with that and you find your way Your like you said the side door into an album or a group through either a singer and we've all got examples that we've talked about but um i i absolutely love that kind of um web of music that you can get caught up in you've been writing with the washington post since 1999 how long have you been a writer where'd you get your start tell us your story
4: uh well in terms of journalism i I wrote in high school for the school paper I, i i took to it immediately i of course you know like every kid growing up in in the 80s you know i wanted to be you know a baseball player or a basketball player football player um and of course one by one Each sport kind of (laughs) informed me uh, that I was not going to make it in that. And um, at the same time, I loved reading and and words and books and and writing. And so it was natural for me to start writing for the school paper and covering um, sports. And then um, I actually got a sports writing scholarship, like the only one that I'm aware of in the country, which is still going today. And it's a full ride to Vanderbilt University. And it's for sports writing It's named after grantlin rice one of the great sports writers of the, of the sort of pre-war uh pre-world war ii era um and he was a vanderbilt alum and so they named the scholarship after him and it's for sports writing and um you know in a roundabout way it led me to get into music because um they there was no requirement for you to take journalism classes or anything like that because they didn't have any Vanderbilt doesn't really have a journalism program, um, but so I, I wound up studying English and music and um, studying for a time to be an opera singer of all things. Um, and then, but, you know, I was, I was doing internships in journalism in my summers, writing for the school paper. I had an internship at the Washington Post uh, the summer after my junior year, and um, about, I guess, five years after that, they, they hired me full time.
0: I did not know that uh, small town Georgia. I'm assuming it was a small town you grew up yeah, in, but it was. Uh, small town Georgia had an opera scene. No, no, no. How did how did you get no, your start that, in that?
4: That was an accident. <laughs> um, I, I went. I, I I took a 101 music class at Vanderbilt. Fell in love with studying music, the theory, the history, all that stuff. I talked to the professor. Wound up doing a minor in music that I turned eventually into a double major. But I had to pick an instrument and i was playing sort of self-taught guitar and piano i didn't want to study classical guitar classical piano so i just said well i'll just go sing because i sang in my church choir i I sing to accompany myself on guitar and i really didn't care about performing i didn't care about studying performance i wanted to study the theory and the history and learn about music so i went to sing for somebody because i had to i had to pick an instrument so i just defaulted the voice and I sang for a woman and she basically said, wow, I have to take you to the opera guy. And then the opera guy heard me and he said, wow, I need to cast you in Deflator mouse this semester. And then next semester, you're going to sing the lead in Rigoletto and La Boheme. And that was that it
0: i'm curious is performing was that something that came natural to you or i mean you talked about being in a church choir growing up and then you get to college and suddenly somebody's like hey kid you're you're cast in this opera or this play or this musical i mean was that did that feel natural to you
4: no not really i mean um church choir is one thing because you know there's 20 other voices or however many it was and i mean i i'm i'm still not really much of a performer um I mean, I, I I don't have the time or really the the, the musical bandwidth or the band put together to, to go out and play shows and stuff. Uh, I'm in it for the creation, for you know that that satisfies my my creative Jones uh, to write music and put records out and be in the studio is is the is the best. Thing going you know i mean it's it's the thing that i i kind of live for right now is to book a week in the studio and get in there and 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 make make some art um but yeah i'm still at this point not really much of a performer um i mean you know look when i'm out with a whole bunch of sports writers at a marriott bar uh in the hotel lobby at 2 a.m and we shut down the bar and there's a piano in the lobby and i've had a few drinks i mean i will beat the (laughs) hell out of that piano and and i'm i'm known for that and and our friend joe i'm sure will tell you and if you ask any sports writer basically in america about Dave Schein, and the first thing they're going to say is, oh, my God, that dude can beat the crap out of a piano in a a Marriott lobby at 2 a.m. That's my performance.
0: Well, true story. Uh, Joe Christensen is a sports writer for the Minneapolis Star Tribune, and he's a good friend of uh, Mr. Schein and myself, and he did almost verbatim tell me. He said, oh, my gosh, Dave, you could tell him any song to play on the piano, and he'd play it those were verbatim yeah. history, so you know your your yeah. uh legend and lore very well uh, um I I will also say if you check out uh Dave on Twitter I think it, you know Dave Shinen s-e-h-i-n-e-n-i-n close yeah, close enough. basically yeah. you'll find him uh yeah. Dave on Twitter he's got this fabulous picture from early December and Dave you and I talked about it I just I laughed out loud looking at it you're playing a piano and it looks like a big open room and there's like a couple of people kind of casually walking by and you put the the caption basically said i had the audience eating out of my hand that night and it's just the funniest <laughs> picture it's just perfect uh to your point about you know sometimes you get put in those those situations where you're asked to perform you're asked to do something and it's not really in your comfort zone and you have to figure out a way to to make do and and clearly you've made do um because not only have you, you made music, you've made albums, but you've been writing uh, for the Washington Post for 20-some 20, 20 years now. You, you got Did you start out as a baseball writer, or did you come in doing something else and work your way into that, or how did that turn out?
4: I came into the Post as a baseball writer. I had been at the Miami Herald for five years previously. I was hired to the Miami Herald, um, my first full-time job out of college, and, and the first job I did there was covering golf which, you know, wasn't my first choice, would have, wouldn't have would have been my first choice. But again, think about it. This was in the 90s. Newspapers were flush with money. I was going to the British Open every year. I was going to the Ryder Cup in Spain. I was going to Augusta National every year. I got to play Augusta National the Monday after Greg Norman's collapse in 1995, I think it was. Um, I mean, it was it was a cool gig. But, you know, it wasn't my the endpoint point or, or my destination in the business. So I eventually moved to baseball at the Miami Herald. And that's when the post hired me back uh, to cover baseball.
0: Now, you're also you've covered baseball and we'll talk. We'll talk definitely about that. But but you're also off to cover the Olympics in Beijing. That's got to be exciting. Well, <laughs> yes, sir. You know, exciting is the word he would have used.
4: That's That's one word for it, certainly. <laughs> Terrifying is another um, ominous is another, um, you know, it's, this is going to be a very, very strange Olympics. Normally uh, the Olympics is the absolute pinnacle of, of, of my career coverage wise. And, and in terms of my enjoyment, I love covering the Olympics. This will be my fifth, but oddly enough, it'll be my second in Beijing because I was there in the 2008 summer games um, this is going to be really, really weird, strange, a little bit terrifying, um, you know, not to get too deep into the, the weeds, but you know, we're basically being given burner phones to take and burner laptops, we're not taking our normal phones or laptops, because we're afraid of what's going to get put onto it by you know, the Chinese government. Um, So all of our stuff is being filtered, you know, through these burner phones. Um, We're being very careful about technology there. Um, You know, it's gonna be daily COVID testing. I have to get, I have to test negative twice here within 96 hours of my flight on different days before I can board my flight. Um, we're going to have to test at the airport and then wait to get your negative result before you released um, daily testing while we're there throat swabs. Um, it's just going to be it's, and then we're in a closed loop, which, which is basically a hard bubble. You will have no contact with anybody outside of the bubble. So, your transportation drivers, the people who help you in the media centers, um, the athletes—those th- are people you will be able to talk to and, and interact with. But nobody else, no, nobody who is not in the closed loop. So, it's a very—and and, and look, the, the other thing is, if you test positive while you're in China, you're sent to this isolation facility, which. I don't even who knows what that's like and who know you're at the mercy of of the government you know this deciding you're, you're 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 safe to let out so i don't know man exciting dave
0: you mentioned you had been there before you'd been there in 2008 so obviously the world the world has gone through quite a few tumults since then what is it just COVID that's different or is it is there more to it now that just feels so different
4: yeah it's main it's mainly covid i mean i was also in tokyo just 6 months ago for the summer games and that one was um you know not the full experience there were a lot of restrictions because of covid um but but japan uh, obviously you know is a much more sort of welcoming um um regime welcoming government um not that the people are any more or less welcoming but just as a, as a so You know, that was um, that was a little bit restrictive and and not the full experience. I just this is going to be infinitely more restrictive and less, um, you know, less culturally satisfying. You know, I'm not going to see Beijing outside of. And luckily, like I said, I've been there already. That's fine. But I'm not going to see anything of the city except for my hotel room, the venues. I'm going to cover events. Um, and the main media center and, that, and that's really it that's it
0: how many how many other journalists are going to be there when we talk about you say the media center I mean we talking a thousand or yeah
4: normally normally you're talking a thousand or so I think I'm not sure how this one's gonna go I'm only hearing bits and pieces. Um, ESPN has pulled all of their reporters they won't be they're not sending anybody. Uh, to Beijing. NBC, which of course is televising the Olympics, has pulled most of its announcers uh, and they're gonna they're gonna do their broadcast from the states, uh, from the studios uh, on a live feed. Um, so um, uh, we're sending, I believe 12 people, The Washington Post. The New York Times generally sends three to four times what we do. They're just a bigger operation. USA Today is even bigger than that. I don't know what their numbers are gonna be. I don't know what the rest of the international contingent's gonna look like, but I suspect it's gonna be a a smaller media contingent, far smaller than normal.
0: Now, uh, insiders who work in the industry have told me all about the wonderful food spreads in the press (laughs) rooms across America. What do you expect the food spread is gonna be like at the Olympics? I mean, Chinese food is, when it's good, it's amazing.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I have to think that it's going to be really good. And the reason is, first of all, China wants to impress the world. That That's the reason they they have spent a gazillion dollars to to, to buy the Olympics, bring them to, to China, to Beijing. Um, and secondly, w- since we're not allowed to go to restaurants, I have to think that, you know, authoritarian government, whatever, I still think they they, they are going to feel an obligation to have, have a better than normal uh, food spread just because we're, no, nobody's going to be allowed to go anywhere else. It's going to be your only option.
0: Mm. So you got that going for you.
4: <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, my main concern obviously is, you know, procuring alcohol. I mean, that's <laughs> Pretty much, my colleagues and I—that's all we talk about. Are we going to be able to get booze?
0: What is your favorite event to cover? The Olympics. It can be summer or winter or any of the above.
4: Wow, that's a great question. I mean, it's hard to pin it down because the the entire draw. Well,
0: I mean, you once, did it. You did a cover. You did some stuff on Michael Phelps before. I mean, you've done yeah, big I'm events. Phelps,
4: yeah, I've done Usain Bolt, Michael Phelps. I mean. But, but, but the cool thing about the Olympics to me is getting sent to do something you've never seen before and will never see again. You know, I covered fencing at, the, at an Olympics. I covered beach volleyball. I covered track cycling. Um, I've, you know, in, in winter games, you know, I've covered speed skating. Um, I'm going to be covering a lot of alpine skiing this time, apparently.
1: Um, so, you know, it's
4: just a boy
0: from Georgia is super happy yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, man. Let me tell you all about, uh, let me tell you all about my, my super G and, and grant and giant yeah. knowledge. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> but I mean, it, and that's the, that's the allure of the Olympics, depending on who you ask, uh, or it's the detractor. Some people, uh, might say, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you'll never see again. And then there's a lot of people that they, they love it all. Um, yeah. but let's 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 talk a little bit about uh baseball you've covered uh baseball in the orioles since um 1999 or so like you said a few years after that um you we're in the midst of a labor stoppage strike depending on who's framing the issue are we gonna have baseball this year
4: yeah yeah you're you're gonna have baseball you're gonna have very close to a full season if not a full season I think both sides ultimately know what's at stake here. They're going to maneuver and posture, and you may lose some spring training, um, which, you know, for folks living in Minnesota, you know, maybe, hey, maybe you don't need to be subjected to to palm trees in in Florida and Arizona on your TV, and maybe you don't (laughs) mind missing some spring training. Um, There there are municipalities, of course, in Florida and Arizona that are going to be hurt by that, Um, But I don't think I don't think the regular season is going to going to be, you know, pinged very much, maybe slightly. But I think the owners will try to get every game made up somehow squeezed into the schedule because every game they play is more money for them. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to have a
0: My segue out of this was going to be it's that's kind of the measure of things. (laughs) <laughs> that you have to weigh. Uh <laughs> well done. Well, very well done. That's that's good quality writing right there. Uh, but but let's talk about the measure of things. That's your new album. Uh it came out. Uh, it's on Bandcamp, it's on Spotify. Uh it looks like you can buy it online as well. Tell me about that process. How did the how did how did a sports writer, per, person traveling to to the Olympics, how did you find time to become a guy who's releasing albums on the side?
4: well the first part of that answer is that for the longest time i I wasn't um i didn't put out my first record till i was probably 46 47 years old um and it uh, the only thing i can say and, and i've wrestled with this myself i don't i there's not really a satisfying answer for why i didn't really get started on it sooner um, and it's really just the, that life, you know, the, the, I, I was busy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had, I had a very busy job. I was on the road, you know, 150 nights a year. And then I had a family and, and was on the road a lot and trying to raise a family. And, um, but, you know, it was always something that I, I, I knew I wanted to do. And I think finally, you know, I just got to an age and to a point in life where it's like, you know. You got to do it now
0: well it's it's funny uh your point about your first album power pop hookier uh melody or melodious i think is the word and then this album you know it's a little more rootsy you even you even kind of push the boundaries there though uh, because you've got a song called saint paul which i've listened to yeah. and it's a great track and it it Thanks. is definitely it's funny because I, if it's who i think it's about yeah paul westerberg he, yeah. that that's that's him in a nutshell is Pop yeah. and kind of that edginess. Uh, tell me about yeah. Saint Paul.
4: Well, it's very much an, an homage uh, to to Saint Paul, to to the saint, um, the saint of the Twin Cities, man, uh, my sort of musical North Star. Um, I, I, you know, I started out wanting to kind of write a an ode uh, to Paul Westerberg, um, but you know it's it's funny you know when you start thinking about him and how he would react to a kind of fawning um, um you know uh over the top kind of gushy uh ode to his talents i mean he he would recoil at that you, we we know him or at least we know his musical persona and i think that we can all pretty much <laughs> ascertain that his real persona is very close to that he would hate that you know and so that would
0: explain why he won't return my calls with the roses i've been sending him um <laughs> for the show
4: <laughs> if, he, if you get him on the show you got to bring me back as a panel yeah
0: all right? i will we we fawn um, very well so
4: yeah so, so do i so so over time the the you know the song kind of it, it morphed into something grittier edgier and almost you know um he he wrote a song in the early days of the replacements called Johnny's Gonna Die uh, that was about Johnny Thunder. And I think, you know, maybe subconsciously I was trying to come at this from the same angle with Paul, you know, just that I wanted to sort of thank him. But it was a backhanded thank you, uh, um, you know, that you kind of you kind of martyred yourself on the sort of, you know, on the cross of rock and roll for, for all of us. Um, but also damn you, you know, you were so talented. You were one of the great songwriters of your era and what happened, you know, like, because the replacements, that is their story arc. You know, it's, they are the the greatest band that never made it, that never really, I mean, and look, they made it, they were on Saturday night live. They had some, you know, modest hits. They, they, they are beloved and I love them, but you know, they self-sabotaged, you know, and, they torpedoed their own careers sort of willingly um and and it's it's almost like you know damn you paul man you you could have been the one and so it's a it's a it's it's half fawning and half a smack upside the head i guess which i think is how he would he would want it you know
0: I think the uh, B-side version on uh, Measure of Things Deluxe Edition, double LP, you should include the alternate fawning version of St. Paul. (laughs) But now is the time, uh, Dave Scheinan, to do what we call Ched Talk. Are you ready for Ched Talk?
4: Oh, man, I've been ready my whole life for Ched Talk. (laughs)
0: let us do ched talk here on the real wolf record club all right are you ready for the first question it's a two-parter okay hit me two-parter dave shinen uh first question is a boneless chicken wing just a chicken nugget and can a grown adult person eat one and still command the respect and dignity that an adult deserves
4: I'm going to say that it is very much a chicken nugget because a a a a wing uh I mean absolutely you know connotes um uh, some bone in there uh some structural um you know that uh if you if you remove the bone you you have just like shreds of chicken uh so yeah that that is absolutely a nugget and can you uh maintain uh, your dignity ordering that I mean yeah, I mean, you can if, if you know, uh, I, I mean, you know, you don't you, you don't have to you don't have to brag about it. You don't have to let anybody know you, you're doing it. Um, you I mean, secretly order thing, it. I mean, I, look, I've done it when I'm all by myself at Buffalo Wild or something, um, you know, and and maybe I'm wearing a white shirt. I don't want to get real messy with the with the picking it up. If I want to eat it with a fork or something, you know. Look, I'm not proud. I mean, I, I'll, I'll admit this stuff, but but I'm certainly not going to do it in a, in a large group, and certainly not with Southerners, you know, where I oh. grow up. <laughs> oh, no will that. I mean, if you if you eat chicken with a fork and knife in Georgia, where I'm from, man, you, you're getting laughed out of the, the or, or oh. work.
0: <laughs> well done. Uh, most embarrassing prediction for the Baltimore Orioles baseball team you've made in your career.
4: Well, I covered them from the years I covered the Orioles were 1999 to 2004 which was a horrible era you know it was um it was uh, they probably averaged 95 losses a year it was after the the glory years of the nine of the mid 90s where the ripken year you know um so it was the tail end of the ripken era and then the post ripken era and they were absolutely horrible and i mean probably just even predicting them to go 500 wasn't was a joke a joke by the end of the season so i can't remember anything more specific than that but 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 even just assuming they were going to be competitive would have been a, a huge mistake in that era.
0: Mm. Uh, best stadium press box to work from when covering an event?
4: Yankee Stadium. The new Yankee Stadium is 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 gorgeous press box, plush seating, um, and and low down. You know, nowadays the trend is to kick the media out of the prime. Uh, behind home plate seating on the lower level uh, that we that we generally had in every stadium uh, 15 years ago, and kicking the media up either into the stratosphere or down the line or something, and and selling the that prime real estate for you know high rollers and suites. So Yankee Stadium still has us down low, still has us behind home plate, gorgeous press box, beautiful seating, plenty of room. So I guess I would go for that. Um, I still, though, I, I I still would say that Camden Yards is, is my favorite ballpark to 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 go cover a game in because it also has the great seating behind home plate and low, um, and it's just such a beautiful, beautiful stadium that's really aged well. Um, so so yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of a hedge. But
0: have you ever sung in a barbershop quartet, and if so, <laughs> did you wear a special hat? <laughs>
4: I did, actually. Yeah, this, uh, yeah. we, we talked about this, huh? Um, I did. Uh, in high school, we had a, a barbershop quartet. For some reason, did competitions of, around the state. Uh, I, I, did, I like I how out. you're acting
2: like it's a cast. I'm
0: like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. It was just yeah. a thing we did around the state of Georgia for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> thank god no videos uh exist from that day or thank god there wasn't twitter or tiktok mm-hmm. or whatever or my, uh, but um yeah, this is the I part mean, of
0: the it's... show where i could pull in your former quartet mates and just be like well we've got a surprise oh, for you dave oh, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah there there may have been bow ties there may have been oh, little god. you know pork pie hats or whatever they are i mean there, there may have been a lot of embarrassing stuff that mm. happened with that yeah uh
0: and final question here in shed talk with dave shine and you have the power to assemble a musical quartet speaking of quartets from any time in history who's in your band with you
4: any time in history
0: i mean i'm not looking for like mozart you can say that yeah, if you want but okay. that wouldn't be very cool
4: i'm gonna have to have mccartney on bass and, and i mean just to have mccartney in the band right as a millennial um, i feel nemesis. triggered yeah yeah <laughs> um i i mean i i have to have a beetle in the band and um you know between paul's bass playing and 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 of course you know songwriting vocals everything i guess i would for guitar guitar i mean i'm, I'm gonna go with springsteen i mean he's still my guy i mean that was my first musical you know love um i'll, I'll take him as a guitarist second songwriter whatever you whatever have you Wow, for piano, I gotta have a pianist in there because like I'm not, I'm not gonna take a second guitar player, you know. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with keyboards, and I think I would go with Stevie Wonder. Mm. Um, I mean, I just, you know, uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could go with that, you know, Billy Joel, Elton John. I mean, uh, somebody like Professor Longhair, Doctor John. I love, I love my New Orleans um, stuff. Um, but I think I go with Stevie there. I mean, one of the absolute towering musical talents of his generation. Um, drums. Well, look. I mean, this, is, this will be a curveball, I suppose. But I can't have a musical quartet without Prince in it. And Prince plays every instrument on, on every record he did, right? <laughs> so I'll just make him my drummer just to have him in my band.
0: Ah! Uh, Boom. I love it. And that... Uh, for another episode, maybe the last episode, you'll have to tell us what you name your your group because I'd love to know that. <laughs> and that has been Ched Talk with Dave Shining here on the Real Wolf Record Club. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and dig into the album "Let It Be" by the Replacements. Reminder to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Real Wolf Record Club. Hit that subscribe button. Share it. Listen it. Download it. It's it's. Uh, we'd love to have you with us for each episode. Follow us at Real Wolf Record Club on instagram and at twitter at real wolf rc visit us at www.realwolfrecordclub.com for all that information repeated ad nauseum this is the real wolf record club we will be right back
4: New bag,
2: and it's
0: welcome back to the real wolf Record Club. We are talking with Dave shinen of the Washington Post and singer songwriter who just released an album in 2021 about the album by The Replacements, "Let It Be" from 1984. I mean, this album. You know, we've kind of given all our 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 own biases and, and opinions on it coming in, but one of the things that originally just blew me away, and I, and I don't know why, there's a lot of talented children out in the world these days, but. Tommy Stinson, bass player in the band. I mean, he, he he joins the band. their legend goes. Bob Stinson, his older brother, pulls him into the band at age twelve or something to keep him out of trouble, which is so funny because <laughs> the, the the myth and the lore are uh, not myth. It has actually happened of of Bob Stinson at shows was that you're bringing him into this band to keep him out of trouble. I mean, the number of times, again, watch the documentary Calling Me Obsessed. The number of times fans said they saw him naked on stage, wearing a tutu on stage, in a garbage can on stage, completely blacked out, <laughs> drunk on stage. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. And my I, and I first thought was the band got together, started doing things in 79, 78, 79, 80, something like that. Tommy was, he's born in, he say, 12, 13 at the time. Let It Be comes out five years later. So he's definitely. 16 or 17, something like that when the album comes out. Um, Statman, Ryan is our resident Statman. Uh, We're trying to come up with a little theme song for that. Ben wanted to do no 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 Statman. No, I think we go completely different. We go mid nineties. We go I'm the Statman. We that's the angle I would go. To. But Statman, Ryan, you're our numbers guy. Both are awful. <laughs> Ryan, tell me where are we at? I mean, is is Tommy Stinson? He's got to be the youngest recording artist. I mean, twelve, and you're recording albums of the band uh what Tom, what do you got
3: well uh, joe depending on how early tommy did join the band he he might be the youngest artist with a major label um predating anything i could really find on the internet however um there are two really close contenders mm. um, does anyone have any guesses who that might be
2: well, last time it was Taylor Swift. Is it Taylor Swift? Yeah, <laughs> it,
3: I can, it is not Taylor Swift. It's got to be
2: Michael Jackson, right?
0: I mean, he's uh, he was like well. three years old, right?
3: Yeah. Yep, he was twelve as well, and he was twelve. He was twelve. I think when, somebody um, would have been younger. I want you back if everyone can remember that. Uh-huh. Mm. He was uh, I mean, years old.
0: Okay. Well, um, Dave, you How got any guess? Uh, it's got to be like.
3: Um... I'll give you another hint. It's another Motown. Recording artist from the 60s. Motown recording artist. Um, Dave may have mentioned this person. Stevie. There you go. Stevie 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 Wonder? Wonder?
4: Right. Little Stevie. He was was called Little Stevie in the beginning because he was so young. You're right, right. That's Mm. right. Yeah, Little
3: Stevie Wonder. He recorded a a song called Fingertips. And apparently it went to the top of the Billboard charts. I didn't know the billboard, Billboard Hot 100 went back that far, but it was a number one
0: and and maybe it's because um and and all of us can appreciate this um all parents are about to be parents maybe it's because i hear music made for children so much that it it um if i didn't love other music i would stab my own ears out um, with how awful it is that i tend to have a bias of children singing is bad um but it just fascinates me that you know stevie wonder at age 12 or um you know, Michael Jackson or Tommy Stinson—that they're getting together and doing something interesting. And quite frankly, if you listen to the the Jackson Five on vinyl, the Christmas album, it's virtually unlistenable. It's it's really awful. Um, all apologies to the Jacksons, but it, it, listening—I bring that up because it just shocked me to think. You got a twelve-year-old kid, and the legend goes about how he quit school at, in ninth grade. He walked in and he played the song, you know, what is it, "Fuck School" or something like that, and and he quit. I don't know if that's true or not, but I mean, you've got a kid with some 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 punk persona to him, and he's creating or part of a group creating some really really compelling music. I just found that fascinating. Um, well, thank you, Statman, for
2: for for that. <laughs>
0: There it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Um, but but let's turn, let's dig right into it. Um, this is, I think we all have um, some thoughts on this one. One of our favorite things to do is pick out the favorite song on the album. And we'll start with you, Dave. What is your favorite song on this album, Let It Be?
4: Mm. Man, you know, it's, it's hard because on different days it might be something else. But um, I mean, I've got to say that, you, you know, having told you about my musical background, my love of, of hooks and melody and um, great, you know, rock and roll. Uh, I mean, I have to go with I Will Dare. Um, track one, you know, I think that it grabs you from the first 10 seconds. There's a a, a really killer guitar lick that starts the song and then Tommy's bass, you know, and Chris Mars' drums come in at the same time and it just just locks in the rhythm. And then the opening line from Paul I think is, you know, so awesome how, how how young are you, how old am I? It's just let's count the rings around my eyes. I mean, god. I mean, what a first 20 seconds of a of a record and a and a great first 20 seconds of a song. Um, and then you've got the, the Peter Buck, uh, guitar solo. I, and it's kind of a, I don't know. How Peter Buck of R.E.M. Of R.E.M. I don't know how many people know that he, he plays, uh, the guitar solo in the middle of that song. There was a time when the replacements, uh, were thinking of, of, of having Peter Buck, uh, produce the record. It never really happened, but he contributed that. Um, I mean, that song is just absolute money. And, it's important in that it, it completely announces a new direction for the band or a, a, a more um, accessible kind of, um, you know, radio friendly kind of direction. Uh, where it was Paul Westerberg announcing his songwriting chops in a way, um, you know, because the first three records, more or less, were sort of tongue in cheek, um, you know, hardcore punk, um, goofy, very goofy, you know, at, at their heart, and this was a new direction, and it announced it right off the bat, and so, I mean, it's a great song, but it's also the most important song on the record.
0: Yeah, this this album, to me, one of the things that came to mind is it's absolutely what I describe as a tide pool album, in the sense that you've got these forces at the front end of their, their career, which is so edgy and strong, and... Uh, stupid spelled S-T-O-O-P-I-D, kind of that punk ethos from the 70s, late 70s. And then you've got what unfortunately led to ultimately the split, I think, or part of it, you know, the the split between the edginess versus the pop writing sensibilities of of Paul Westerberg. And this album is somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle of it all where you still have some edginess to it. You know, you still got the the Gary's Got a Boner and you've still got some of those other harder songs, but then you've also got songs with that jangly hook of i will dare that kick right in and, and like you said let the world know that we're not just the band that you thought we were there's a lot more going on here yeah. um ben your favorite song on the album i mean I, for the fans who can't see us uh, as we talk you're nodding along as as dave's talking what was your favorite song in the album well it
2: seems like dave stole the notes on on uh <laughs> <laughs> on my favorite song because i had that exact same experience i i flipped this album on first time i listened to it and it was like light bulb goes on like i've heard this song and i love this song and it that just that feeling just never went away and i I, i've i've heard it enough i know but it was the exact same thing dave guitar like that's just front and center it just brings you right into that song i love that that gravelly voice um in the vocals and i i found myself coming back to this song i'd start the album i'd stop it i'd come back but i'd always want to start back at track one and then go from there because i just i really love that song it's a really good one but ben you know you mentioned you and i had talked about this a little bit um
0: and trying to keep with the real wolf record club rules that we don't talk about the real wolf record club in between shows um, but we totally do uh, but, but Ben we talked a little bit about one of the things that was compelling I think for you you mentioned this um, a comparison you know there's something that you can pull out of Paul Westerberg and his voice and kind of that influence in music
2: well, tell me about that so I'm I'm listening to this album and, and as we recommend all of our real wolf record club listeners do before the episode listen to the album come to this uh, discussion with your own point of view so that you can tell us if we're right or we're wrong and you can experience this process with us. Or if you say my... iconic too much, you can if tell you us that If you say iconic too. <laughs> too much, please let us know and we will get a thesaurus. Yes. Uh, we will try to use words that are not iconic. <laughs> um, legendary, potentially. But as I'm listening to this album, one of the other things that we do as well is we listen to the whole album. Take down... Take some time, sit down, listen to the whole album, front to back, and experience that whole thing. And I've talked about this before. It's something that we don't do enough these days. We just put things on playlists and we listen to them. Uh, We need to sit down and we need to listen to the whole album as it was intended to be consumed. But as I did that, I, I kept hearing Kurt Cobain singing to me from this band from Minnesota. And I'm thinking of songs like Tommy gets his tonsils out, Unsatisfied, 16 Blue, Answering Machine. Go back, listen to those songs, and tell me that you're not hearing a little bit of that Kurt Cobain. Um, and I think for any of the any uh, Real Wolf Record Club listeners out there that are that are Nirvana fans, you listen to this album, you're gonna love it. You are really gonna love it, and you're gonna hear that influence that was. Um, contentious maybe from from the perspective of kurt cobain and paul westerberg i know, the, know that each will really uh, call each other's music good or, or claim that either had had been in or that nirvana had been influenced um, by the replacements but there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of sounds that you'll find both i think interesting and similar
0: as well there's another great podcast called Bandsplained. Um, and they have a, the, the host, uh, Yasi, has a two part episode on the replacements. And she hits on exactly what you're talking about, Ben, which is she was a kid who was probably a couple years older than us, but old enough to be coming of age with Nirvana and wanting to consume everything about Nirvana. And in doing so, Looked to the influences and she was led to the replacements who she now loves too and she had that same experience that she heard nirvana And then she heard the replacements and heard nirvana again that there's that Very very similar nature in their in their sound um, Ryan i'm really interested to know You have the most experience with this album. You have the most background with it. What was your favorite song on this album?
3: well, i will say I Will Dare is up there, but I did not choose it as my favorite. Um, for me, it's uh, the first song on the B-side, uh, Unsatisfied. Um, this song's a forever classic for me. Uh, it's emotional, raw, and I had gravelly gravelly voice um, on it, too. It's intense, and this may sound a little weird. I'm a Springsteen guy. I like my dad rock, <laughs> even though I'm not a dad yet, but... Uh, there's some weird Springsteen-esque uh, quality to this song to me. I don't know why. It just has that kind of feel to me, which which I like. Um, I don't know. I like the crisp guitar. That feels like a very heartfelt delivery in the song. You can kind of feel all the emotion. Um, and I'm a I'm a sucker for some lap steel guitar too. I just I just like that. But anyway. It's one of those songs i like to play loud i like to i played it often hundreds of times maybe even more uh it's just it's just a fun song i like it hannah
0: you what was your favorite song
1: uh i'm gonna hitch on to ryan's trailer and i pick unsatisfied as well that song was an immediate favorite for me i really loved it from the first play um uh, the lyrics aren't terribly creative or complex but they're still pretty profound talking about um almost having everything you've ever wanted but still being unsatisfied and um that true you know happiness and satisfaction maybe doesn't always come from what we assume will bring us um fulfillment uh, and it really is just a great song um I feel like really uh, represents the, you know, 80s, 90s, even though it was, you know, a song from 84. Um, it just still almost felt like it fit in the 90s as well, uh, feeling sound to it. And uh, I found myself going back to that song to listen to it again and again and again. Yeah, definitely a favorite for me.
2: That's a good point. It It almost feels in retrospect a little bit autobiographical too. <laughs> you know, back to what Dave was talking about earlier you know, you have this band with all of this talent and uh, seem seeming to be on the cusp of something huge and yet they still seem unsatisfied and kind of fade into black, you know. My favorite song, it, it, this was one of them. I, I, had, I
0: actually had a really difficult time. Um, this is usually Ben's issue. Ben usually has a one A B C D E on just about every <laughs> album, but for me, I, I really did struggle. And and the one I came back to was the one uh, first blush, first love. Um, androgynous was just <laughs> if it's it's the ghost of future past. You know, looking back on a song in 1984, they wrote a song that is just so prescient right now for the the. The reckoning that's happening with rights of all (laughs) marginalized people. And they wrote this song in 1984. And that little piano play is just so good so good on a punk album and i know ryan's the emo guy usually um <laughs> i am the emo guy. I, I, he's mentioned ben gibbard already so he's definitely the emo guy but i i'm a sucker for either you know i'd call them punk ballads or or some of those little softer edges on a on an album like this so for me androgynous really was was one of the the highlights and that's what i landed on today and with that let's turn to our word nerd to hear what we've got. And today, again, leading you in with Androgynous. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, there's a lot to pick from, but to me, this album, this song has a lot to work from. Word nerd, what do you got for us?
1: I ended up picking lyrics from Androgynous. The uh, part that stood out to me the most was, mirror image, see no damage, see no evil at all. Cupid dolls and urine stalls will be laughed at the way you're laughed at now it's 1984 that's what 37 years ago and they're talking about a non cisgender identity and i can't even think of a lot of songs now that really speak so like frankly and openly about that
2: i really like the fact that you have kind of this punk mentality of like complaining about everything that's why i i, I punk music i feel like it's always like everything sucks it does, it does angry.
0: it does.
2: <laughs> but here pick up you... a paper. Dave show them yeah. the post, pick up the paper. everything sucks. <laughs> everything sucks. <laughs> but I, I just love how you know here they're just saying, who cares? I mean they're just really saying who cares and when when we get further down the line, who's gonna care? We're making a big deal about it now. who's gonna care? People love each other. They're closer than anybody that knows because they have their own special love. they love they love each other. Who cares? And I love, I love that. I love that kind of twist on the punk mentality. Well, and I, I think in that song is so much to work with. You know, I, I think you also look
0: at a songwriter like Paul Westerberg. And I, I was when Hannah, you were talking about the lyric that you selected, the Kewpie Dolls and your installs. I kind of chuckled because at first glance, you're like dolls, That's that's for the the cisgendered girls. Why do the boys get the pisser? Like why do we get that? Like why is that the thing? But it's that's the genius of the lyric is cupid dolls and urinstalls like standing up like that's what boys do and girls play with doll. And I'm like, that is a genius little play on lyrics that you wouldn't you would expect them to do cupid dolls and footballs. Nope. Mm-hmm. Urine stalls. I'm like That, that. wouldn't
1: be punk Joe. <laughs>
0: disgusting bathrooms at, at clubs like the <laughs> Longhorn um, that I mean, it, but it, it just that, that I think we, we agree that that song in the middle of, I'm just, I haven't run on the track list in front of me, but in terms of that song where it's placement is all of a sudden you get this little piano key that comes on and it gives you that break. And then it has this absolutely powerful message. And the other thing I know, you know, you can call it, cancel culture or whatever, but you look and say, there's a lot of stuff that we look back on musically and we say, well, wasn't that great that they had this view on something and they were standing up and they were talking about it? And then you find out when you read the lyrics closer, you're like, uh, yeah, that hasn't aged super great. Part of it's okay, the rest of it's not. This song is still perfect in that regard. (laughs) Like, he pulled out a sentiment about the world that has stood the test of time. I, I just... It, it's darn near a perfect song and I'm actually I'm actually pretty sold now. It's no longer really that close for me. This is my favorite song. Just thank you word nerd. This is now my favorite song. Um, that has been word nerd. Um, let's turn to now uh, one of our favorite segments. We always do this and if you, you don't know, you can go to our website realwolfrecordclub.com and you can find links. To, um ben mentioned tongue-in-cheek put it on a playlist yeah, that's all we do anymore is put things on a playlist well guess what we do we put things on a playlist uh put it on a playlist as a segment ben put it on a playlist for us
2: joe as always i do love playlists I was tongue-in-cheek and For this episode, we have a great playlist. It's called Simply (laughs) Minnesota," And this is songs by Minnesota artists with the power of a Minnesota blizzard. And believe it or not, the chief export of Minnesota is not snow. It is great music.
1: So who do we have on this playlist? Hold on.
2: Let's give a break for all of our listeners to groan. (laughs) (laughs) Who do we have on this playlist? (laughs) Well, Dave already mentioned our primary export, which is purple. And that's Prince. And this is Let's Go Crazy. Uh, If you can't see the swirling snow in that song, you've got something wrong with you. But who else are we going to export? Well, obviously... We have to have a song from the album that we're discussing today. And it is unsatisfied by the replacements. And to Ryan's point earlier, yes, this is a powerhouse song, play it loud. But we have more than just rock and punk music in Minnesota. We're going to put on God Loves Ugly by Atmosphere, one of our resident hip-hop geniuses, Slug. We're also going to claim Lizzo. We're putting boys on here. Lizzo got her start here even though she's really kind of down in Texas now. She's
4: everybody else's. <laughs> He's
2: guys. on our playlist. That's such a good <laughs> He's song. on our playlist. We're claiming her. Uh, <laughs> and in that same in, in that same um, R&B hip-hop theme, let's put Paviel French on this playlist. Let's listen to the song Writes, a guest on the Real Wolf Record Club. Take a listen to that song. But finally – we we got more we got more songs on the on this playlist. But finally, who knew that bluegrass could be something that really gets your foot tapping and really gets you excited? We're going with "Trampled by Turtles." Wait so long, mm. a great song by a great Minnesota band. Check out the rest of the playlist on our website, realwolfrecordclub.com, or you can go on Spotify and search for Real Wolf Le- Record Club. We have a a, a a bunch of playlists available on Spotify, and you can actually follow Real Wolf Record Club and all the Spotify playlists that we put there. And Joe, I'll just say, we've got a little bit more to this episode, so stick around for closing time.
1: Oh, for God's sake. <laughs>
0: uh we're gonna come back and we're gonna finish up with our patented ranking of bury it borrow it buy it or buy it again of let it be on the replacements uh, album here on the real wolf record club follow us join the conversation we'll be right back with more real wolf record club
4: hey this is dave shinen the greatest sports writer slash singer songwriter in the united states of america and quite possibly the only one and this is The Real Wolf Record Club.
0: Welcome back to The Real Wolf Record Club. We're here, final home stretch. Uh, we're going to give it our own. Each album gets its own ranking by The Real Wolf Record Club. Uh, we're talking about Let It Be by The Replacements with Dave Shinen. And we're here to give it our ranking. I, to me, I say this every album. And hopefully by now, listeners, you figured it out. I really like music a lot. I'm a bit of an audiophile, so not a whole lot crosses my plate that I don't find some value in. Um, I've been pretty lucky so far. Our guests have been picking fabulous albums to review. To me, this is a buy it again. I did buy it, and I'll probably eventually buy it again. Um, this is a this is a great album. It's nearly perfect. The only the only quasi weak spot for me would be 16 blue. And even that's, I listen to that, and that song's got just a fabulous guitar solo at the end. There's just something to like on every track. So for me, it's a buy it again. Um, But I'll turn to you first, Dave, our guest, joining us, singer, songwriter, writer, about to head off to the Olympics. Uh, Where do you place this album? What ranking do you give it?
4: Well, I mean, seeing as how I I have bought it again, um, (laughs) because, I mean, when I first had this record, it was on cassette tape, because, you know, that's what we were listening to back, back in the day i may have even had it on cd so i i may have bought it again twice because now of course i have it on vinyl because uh, now vinyl is back and so um i literally have bought it again possibly twice um it's absolutely a, a buy it again for me um just just um i mean such an important record both in my life and just in um in 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 popular music i mean i think this I mean they they may have invented post punk with this record or or something or I don't I don't guess they invented college rock with this because they were already kind of college rock before this record and so was you know REM and and stuff like that so they didn't exactly invent college rock either but but they crystallized it maybe or Um, they, they, they invented something here. They, 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 there was nothing like this. And then all of a sudden there was, and that is to me, maybe the greatest, um, you know, thing you could say about an artist.
2: Mm. Ben, what's the ranking for me? I thought I was going to come into this with a borrow it ranking. I was pushed to the edge of my buy it limit but I, I have such high standards for getting into that buy it again category for me personally. But I'm squarely in the buy it category and I'm, I'm gonna be rushing out to the record store to go uh, pick this one up. And I do think that this, this is another album that really fits the patented Joe Van Tomey contents under pressure diamond theory of albums that you have all of these forces that kind of came together. I know you described it, described it earlier as a tide pool, but you have these pressures, these creative pressures of wanting to be more poppy and uh, have more melody and hooks that Dave mentioned earlier. But you also have kind of this punk edge and the Gary's Got a Boners of, of the album. And I think this interesting mix makes this experience of consuming this album just really fun because you get a really good variety of music and feeling and emotion and some pretty raw stuff and some pretty tender stuff. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's a great album. And I'm almost convincing myself to transition to a buy it again, <laughs> but I'm going to stick to my guns, and I'm just going to say buy it. Everybody should go out and buy this one. Hannah, your ranking of this album.
1: I'm going to buy it again this album and you know since we've been doing our, our little club here um it's really been opening my eyes and changing my mind about opinions that i've had in the past and uh, you know prior to our club i believe i've outright said i don't like punk music because i had this very like narrow perception of a certain vein of punk music that i really didn't like and as we've been listening to more albums together i'm finding oh, punk can sound a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different sounds of punk. And I really, really kind of love some of it. And this album is just solid and fabulous. And I will absolutely continue listening to this. It is just so multifaceted. There's so much good stuff about it. Um, Yeah, I'm gonna keep on trucking with this one.
0: That's exactly how the replacements want to be thought of, is keep on trucking with the
3: replacements. (laughs) Ryan, uh,
0: you out of all of us have the most history with this album. You get the last word. Where do you rank the replacements? Let it be. Uh,
3: This is a no-brainer. Buy it again for me. Uh, I need one to stock and one to rock. Um, (laughs) Full disclosure, I already own this album, and I probably will buy it again at some point, too. It's one of the ones whenever I go into a record store, I look and see if I can find it older copy of this hanging around an older pressing. Um, so I'm just, I'm looking for the right copy to buy it again, I guess. But, um, yeah, I've loved this album since I discovered it. I wish I discovered it sooner in my musical journey. Uh, listened to it a lot and was super excited when, when, uh, it was picked for this episode. Um, if I had to just boil it all down, my favorite thing about it is it's just a straight up original honest album of rock music um it's not overly produced it's not overly serious as we know with some of the more comedic songs um i love all that and i like how all that mixed together still somehow sounds great which if you put it on paper that sounds really weird you have a song (laughs) called gary's got a boner next to this really awesome rock song i mean how does that go together to make a really great album um but somehow it does and I always feel like somehow Paul Westerberg's vocals always seem to match the music in each of these very unique songs super well, which makes it such a great listen. I don't know. It's it's not one of those albums that I, I ever thought that I would be listening to over and over again, but it's, it's something I've gone back to many, many times every single year since I found discovered it. I don't know, probably 20, 20 years ago. Um, so yeah, uh, definite buy it again. And if anyone knows where any awesome original <laughs> pressings are, um, hit me up. <laughs>
0: Well, and, and listeners, if you've heard us, you've, you've, you've stuck with us through these episodes, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, Dave would call it fawning. We're fawning about an album, but I, I call it the food principle. I think it's a heck of a lot more fun to talk about stuff you love than stuff you hate. Um, that's not to say we won't eventually get something that we all hate, because I'm sure that we will. But, you know, this is one of those albums that it is so fun to find out new ways of thinking about music as Hannah's talked about or or things that you hear in album bands like Nirvana that you love that you also hear in an earlier band like the Replacements that Ben talked about or or Dave you've mentioned this kind of intersection of different you got into paul westerberg and then the replacements and for me it's it's reminiscent of my own bias in music that i missed something that is so core and foundational to so much music that we love and that i love that's what i love about this club and that's what i love about talking about great albums with talented people like dave shinen is you learn a heck of a lot about your own taste with music and you get to have a lot of fun while doing it that's it for this episode of The Real Wolf Record Club. We've, we want to thank Dave Scheinan uh, The Washington Post and, and writer and, and performer of the album Measure of Things released last year. Dave, where can people follow you, check you out, uh, check out your music and follow your work?
4: Yeah, I mean, um, anywhere you get music, you'll find it. Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, Amazon Music. Um, uh, and then, you know, you'll, you'll want to go to WashingtonPost.com sports and uh you'll uh you know catch all my my articles there uh in the sports section um certainly you're going to want to do that from beijing i think it's going to be a very fascinating olympics a very unusual and i think the stories are going to be amazing uh, like they always are yeah
0: well, and that's one thing we're big on is stories here at the Real Wolf Record Club. And, and definitely do that. Check out Dave's work, um, both as a writer and both as a songwriter. And check us out. Join the conversation. Get Subscribe to the podcast. You get it hand-delivered, hand-delivered, electronically delivered to your doorstep every day. Uh, you can follow us and listen to each episode with each of our guests and all the albums. You can go to the website. You can order some merchandise with our very own uh, Chad the Wolf, Real Wolf Record Club logo on it. Follow us on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club, on Twitter at Real Wolf RC, and join us for the conversation next time. We are so excited you're here. This has been The Real Wolf Record Club. This has been The Real Wolf Record Club podcast. The Real Wolf Record Club is a production of Real Wolf Productions LLC, a limited liability company. The show is produced today by Ben Head. Our panelists were Ryan McInnes, Hannah Vantomi, and I'm your host, Joe Vantomi. Follow us and join the club on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club, on Twitter at RealWolfRC. Go to our website to find links to the episodes, upcoming news and information, as well as a link to buy merch from our very own Ward Sutton at
2: www.RealWolfRecordClub.com. You're listening to the song St. Paul by this episode's very own Dave Scheinan. Join us next episode when we discuss the powerful album Ten by Pearl Jam.
4: Was not it just like time to go a little too far?